Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Awesome. Yeah, so for those who don't know me, I'm Rachel. I'm the youth pastor here at Shalhaba Community Church. I'm on staff a couple of days a week here, and it's a really big privilege to get to share with you guys this morning um, our next installment in our series on the Jesus lifestyle. And this has been, I've so enjoyed this series. The whole... Um, I've actually been with away for a lot of it, but even what I've heard of it has just so um, impacted me because we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is one of Jesus' first really long sermons that he preached. And it was really a challenging thing. He talked about so many aspects of life, but he was really applicable and really real. He spoke about everyday things like anger, um, like having enemies, having conflict, having lust, having... Um, difficult people, how to deal with that. And Jesus really spoke into all of those situations. And so through this series, we've been able to look at it, to look at the lifestyle that Jesus calls us to live as his people. And the heart in this section that we've been going through so far, so so far we've been going through Matthew 5, which is the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And there's been a whole bunch of passages that start in this section pretty much the same way. It says, like, you've heard that it was written, um, you must not murder, or you've heard that it was written this, or you've heard that the law said this, or you've heard that the law said this. And so we've gone through and we've looked at a whole bunch of different things that Jesus was saying, you know, this is the old way, this is the old law, and you've heard that the law said that this is how things should be done. And that's not talking about, you know, the law of Australia or the law of the Romans or anything. It's talking about the Old Testament law that the Jewish people would have followed. And he's saying, you've heard that the law said this, but I say this. And his standards throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount are so high. And I just want to like put something in here at the start. Something that's really encouraged me as I've been going through this because I think it's really... It can be hard to read the Sermon on the Mount and a lot of Jesus' teaching, but I think this is some of his hardest teaching because it's so easy to feel that we can't measure up and that we we are always failing, that this is a standard that's so high. And it's like, why even try? God must be so displeased with me. If this is God's standard, this must be so displeased to me. God must be so displeased with me. But the first thing that we have to remember in all of this is that God's our father and that we're his children. God could have chosen any name to be the main name that like he's known as in the New Testament. And he's known mainly as God the Father. That's how we refer to him in the Trinity is God the Father. And that's the name that he's um, chosen in many places. Even in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus refers to God, he refers to him as Abba Father. And God's our father. And so if, you ever, if you've ever seen a baby learn to walk, I'm like in this season of life now where my friends are having kids and so I'm like seeing their babies learning to walk and it's so cute and it's so funny. And they're like not that great at it to start off with. They get up and they toddle around and then they fall over or maybe they'll like hold themselves up on something and try to take one step and fall over. And if someone's watching, they might cry but otherwise they'll probably just get up and keep trying. And they're not great at it, but they're trying. And I've seen like um, friends who are parents, they just delight in that. And even me, like seeing them trying to walk, I'm like, that's amazing, that's so great. And then eventually they get a little bit better, but they still fall over every now and then. 
But as a parent, you delight in that. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. You love that, you're, that a child is trying to learn to walk. And I believe that that's how God sees us. We're his kids. And when we try and grow and learn and walk, um, learn to walk as his kids, he delights in our baby steps. He delights in us trying, in us getting up even when we failed. But in the same way that a parent wouldn't be satisfied if all their child ever did was baby steps and falling over, in the same way that a parent wants their child to grow to maturity and walk with adult steps, that's how God sees us. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. God's not trying to diss our baby steps. He's not trying to say, you're useless, you're hopeless. He's a father calling us to maturity, calling us to be people who can walk as adults. And there's this quote um, in the book, The Jesus Lifestyle, that we've been kind of basing this series off that so encouraged me. So before we launch in, we're talking about love for enemies. So I wanted to put this at the start because this is a really challenging passage. But I just want to read... Yeah, I just want to read this quote. It's by John Wimber. Um, He says, Jesus is insatiable. Everything we do pleases him, but nothing satisfies him. I have been satisfied with Jesus. He has not been satisfied with me. He keeps raising the standards. He walks in high places. He is generous, but uncompromising in his call. So we need to hold those two things in tension. God is pleased with us. He's pleased with our baby steps. He does not look at us and constantly feel disappointed with us. But he's a God, like a good father, who calls us to maturity in our walk and in our faith. And so today we're looking at Matthew 6, um, sorry, Matthew 5, verse 43. So if you want to open your Bible, if you've got it, or your phone Bible, my Bible also always is working and on when I need it. Um, Yeah, actually, I'm just going to read it and then we'll start to pull it apart a little bit. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind to only your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So this passage Verse 43 starts like all the other sections of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at so far. It says, you have heard the law that says, so it's talking about an Old Testament law, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So for starters, actually, yeah, so the passage that it's referring to is Leviticus chapter 19. And Leviticus chapter 19 starts, Jesus says, you know, you are to be holy as I am holy. And then it goes through and it talks about a whole bunch of different ways that people should conduct themselves kind of like as good citizens of society. It's things like not stealing, um, things like, you know, not giving false testimony in court, not insulting people, not twisting justice, not gossiping. And then in verse 18, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself for I am the Lord. And so for starters, 
This passage is not, does not say love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's not what the Old Testament law said. The Old Testament law said to love your neighbor. But a lot of the Jews in the time were kind of interpreting that as to mean, oh, I only have to love my neighbor. I only have to love Israelites and Jews and my people. And I can, by implication, hate everybody else. I can hate my enemies. And there's actually like scrolls. When they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they actually found scrolls from some Jewish sects around the time that actually wrote things to that effect that they should be hating the people around them. And so Jesus was actually confronting this and confronting the wrong way that they had been interpreting this. Um, so from the outset, this law, it says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. And so from the outset, this passage is already talking about somebody who is kind of, you're not getting along with. You're not mates, you're not connecting at this point in time. It's someone you're not really getting along with. But the verse calls them to love your enemy. Sorry, the verse says to love your neighbor. And that's already a pretty high call, to love somebody, even somebody who's close to you and they've wronged you. That's already a pretty high call. And it's not saying in this passage that it's wrong to have enemies. Jesus had enemies Martin Luther King had enemies. William Wilberforce had enemies. Um, even Mother Teresa had enemies. Even Mother Teresa had people who didn't agree with what she was doing. So if you want to do great things for God, if you want to do great things in the world, it is likely that there will be people who will not love you for it. So this passage isn't saying that it's wrong to have enemies. But God takes the law higher than even just loving people in your world who have wronged you. In Matthew 5, he says, you must love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And what I think is so interesting about this is that this isn't just about personal enemies. If we understand this through the eyes of the people who this was originally spoken to, Jesus was like sitting on a mountain with like heaps of mainly Jewish people around him that he was speaking to. And to them, their enemy mostly was the Roman people. The Roman people had come in, they had like kind of occupied their land, they had to pay taxes to a foreign government, the Romans were oppressing them. We read last week about, um, last Sunday morning, about how the Romans could force them to carry their heavy soldiers' gear for up to a mile any time that they wanted to. The Romans were not kind to these people, the Romans were seen as their enemies. And... Beyond that, even like the way that the Jews at the time were interpreting the law, they saw them as unclean, dirty dogs. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't go into their home. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. Later on in 70 AD, the Romans actually came and burned the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And so these people were people that were that, that the Jews saw as strongly as enemies, and they were very present. They were not some distant enemy like, oh, you know, we don't like terrorists in another part of the world. They were a very present enemy for these people. They would see Romans everywhere they went. And so when they're hearing Jesus say, love your enemies, this is who they're thinking about. And that's probably different for us. We're probably not all thinking 
oh, I need to love my enemy. We're probably not all thinking about Roman soldiers. And so I just want to take a second for us like, to get our like, frame of mind in this passage. Who is your enemy? Who is someone that you find it hard to love? And it could be personal. That's 100% part of it. But for these people, it wasn't necessarily personal. This was about races and cultures and people groups. Is there a, pe- a people group or a race or a culture or a nation that you find it really hard to love, that you would consider an enemy. Maybe they've done something wrong to you or maybe you disagree with how they live. Maybe you disagree with the things that they're doing. I just want us all to like have a second just to think about this. So this can be real to us. This isn't just about the people that Jesus originally spoke to. This is about us. The Bible was written for us as well. And there could be great pain associated with somebody that you consider to be an enemy. Like massive wrong could have been done against you by this person and I don't want to downplay that in any way the people that Jesus originally spoke to had great wrong done to them by this but this is Jesus's call to people Jesus says to love them to love your enemy to love the Roman who is oppressing you and taking away your freedom to love those who are different to you to love those whose way of life you find disgusting like they found the Roman way of life to love those you don't understand, to love those who have wronged you, and to love those who are far away. And one of the ways that you can do that, that Jesus says really clearly in this passage, is to pray for those who persecute you. To pray for them. And I think that I've experienced in my life, when I've had a really hard time getting along with somebody, or I felt attacked by somebody, Praying for them is one thing that can really soften and really change your heart towards a person. Another way of translating that um, passage that says, pray for those who persecute you, is to bless those who curse you. And that word for bless is actually eulogio or something in the Greek. And it means to bless somebody or to speak well of them. And I heard a funny story about a senator. And when he would get rude, angry letters from people... Um, you know, speaking like they didn't like the things he'd done, what he would do is he would send the letter back to them with a note saying, I just thought you'd want to know that some nutcase has been using your name and address to write letters to me. And he would send it back to them and he just like totally insulted them when they would say things to him. Um, But Jesus suggests a different approach. He suggests speaking well of people who we don't like, speaking well of people that we don't get along along with. So God, as our good father, he's calling us to a higher standard of living in his kingdom. He's teaching us how to grow up. He's teaching us how to grow beyond baby steps. Not just loving our neighbours, but loving our enemies. Loving those who have done wrong to us. Loving those who we don't understand. And then God's so cool. And like the second part of this verse, it says, um, you know, when you love your enemies, you'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. God is not calling us to do something that he does not do himself. He gives blessing to everybody. And it's so cool the symbolism used in this passage. So firstly, like this is in a, like an agrarian culture, so that most of them are farmers. And so the symbols of sun and rain, like that's blessing and abundance to them. 
I was looking in a, like a dictionary of biblical imagery about rain, and it said it's one of the most positive nature images in the whole Bible. So when you read rain in the Bible, that is God's blessing, His abundance, and His provision. And I think that right now, where we're at as a nation, we understand that more than normal because of what's going on with the farmers. It was so funny. We were at Connect on Friday night, and we were like in the middle of doing a Bible study. And then we could hear that it was raining outside. And everybody kind of started cheering or praying, like, God, may it keep raining for the farmers. Like, we know we need this. We know we need to break the drought. And we were like so excited about the rain. And that's what these people's perspective was all the time. They needed rain all the time for their crops to grow. They needed the sun for their crops to grow. And so in this passage, it's saying that God provided that blessing. He provided that abundance for the people that loved him and for the people that didn't, for the people that were good and for the people that were not. There is nobody that deserves less, like less deserves to be mistreated than God. And there's nobody that has been mistreated more than God. The amount of people that have rejected him, the amount of people that have even ignored his existence, the amount of people where he's poured out his goodness on them and they have said no to him, but he keeps giving and he keeps blessing because that is who he is. So God does not ask us to do something that he does not do himself. We are children of God when we love those who love us and we bless those who bless us, and when we love and bless those who don't. And nowhere was that shown more powerfully in what Jesus did for us. We just heard that so amazingly in communion, that while we were still sinners, while we were in death, going to death, Jesus came and participated in that death with us. He died with us while we were still his enemies, while we were still his sinners. And that's the reason that we have life. So this isn't just about other people. This isn't just like, oh, you know, I'm good and then I have enemies and I need to love them. We also need people to love us when we're their enemy. And that's what God did for us. It's so easy to read this and think about how bad other people are. But in this situation, we were the bad ones. We were the ones who'd messed up and God actually chose to love his enemies practically. So God is our good Father. He's calling us to a higher standard of living. He's teaching us how to grow up by loving our enemies. And then number three, the next part of the passage, it says, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. And if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. And Jesus is so funny here because if you think about the two people that were the biggest enemies to the Roman, to the Jewish people at that time, it was the tax collectors and the pagans. And he's saying, you know what? If you aren't kind to people, if you don't love people, even when they don't love you, you are absolutely no different from those that you're calling your enemies. And that's heavy. He's like, even they love their own people. Even they're kind to people who are kind to them. Even like, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Even they can do that. If you are not living to a higher standard as my people, how are you any different from that? It is so easy to look down on people we consider to be our enemies and have judgmental hearts towards them. I don't know if you've ever been in an argument or a situation where you are absolutely sure you're right. In that moment that you're absolutely sure you're right, 
that's the moment when it's so easy to do something wrong, to get a prideful heart, to say mean things about them, to look down on them, to be judgmental, to like try to prove how right you are. And then we're just in the same place. It's so easy to see the flaws and issues with those who aren't like us and to be harsh in judging them. But God calls us to a higher standard than that. Anyone can do that. That's super easy. Being critical is not hard. Anyone can be critical. Anyone can be harsh. Anyone can be judgmental. But God calls us to a higher standard. And this doesn't mean that we have to have nice, fluffy feelings about everybody and everything. Where there has been genuine wrongdoing, God, God understands that 100%. Where there's been abuse, God does not call us to go make ourselves vulnerable to that again. That is not his heart. We don't have to have warm fuzzies when we think about this person or want to have a sleepover with them or anything like that. But God calls us to have a right heart towards them, to not wish bad things on them and pray that God will give them a terrible end. You know, that's, we need to have a right heart and right action towards them. I, th- I don't know who, who has seen the movie War Room. It was like a really popular Christian movie that came out a couple of years ago. It's a great movie. I totally recommend it if you haven't seen it. And there's this scene at the end of the movie that I think is really touching. The main character in the movie did some like wrong things at work and he admitted to them and tried to repent and tried to get it right. And there was this one specific person in the movie who was his boss who was really harsh with him which in some ways is understandable because he'd been stealing a lot of money from the company, but he just showed absolutely no grace to him, even though he was trying to make it right. And so this guy was kind of the kind of person who would be his enemy. He really did not like like, the main character of the show, and the main character of the show would have been really hurt by him. And at the very end of the movie, they're like driving along in the car, the main character and the family, and everything's all happy and nice because they prayed. I wish life was exactly like that, (laughs) but anyway... Prayer is very powerful. So anyway, and then they like see that um, the car, like this guy, like the boss, is pulled over on the side of the road. He's having issues. He's got like a flat tire or something like that. And so they pull in and um, the main character gets out, I don't know, some tool. I don't know what kind of tool it is. And he walks over and at first it looks kind of threatening, like he's going to like whack him on the head with a tool and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And then he actually uses this tool to change the man's tire. And he actively loves him and serves him. And it's a really touching scene in the movie because it's that whole thing of being called to a higher standard. If he'd, you know, just driven past and said some mean thing like, oh man, I'm so glad that happened to him. He's a terrible person. That would have made him no different. Anyone can do that. God calls us to a higher standard than that. God is our good father. He's teaching us how to live in his kingdom. He's teaching us how to grow up. And then God wraps up the whole section with something that makes us feel so much better. It's so nice and easy. He says, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And it's like, oh my gosh, God, how could I ever do that? That's so overwhelming. But he's so intentional in what he does here. I just, um, at the start, I said that he's quoting um, Leviticus 19. When he says, love your neighbor, that's referring to a law in Leviticus 19. And that passage in Leviticus 19 starts with the words, you are to be holy, therefore, as I am holy. 
And so when he ends this passage saying that you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, he's really intentionally mirroring what was said in the Old Testament. But he didn't use the word holy. He chose a different word. He chose the word for perfect, which is teleos in the Greek. And that word means having reached its end, completed, fully grown or mature. And it can actually be used of physical development. So when somebody is fully grown physically, they're not a baby anymore, they're an adult, that is teleos. And I love that that fits in so perfectly with that analogy of a kid learning to walk. It's like the Old Testament and the Old Testament law of, you know, loving your neighbor. That was good. That was baby steps. But what God really wants to call us into is even loving our enemies. And loving your enemies doesn't do away with loving your neighbor. It doesn't do away with the baby steps. It's the adult steps. It's actually the fulfillment of it. That's in the way that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the Old Testament law. It's like the Old Testament was baby steps. It was a start and it was a really good start. But Jesus is like, no, this is how you grow up. This is how I want you to walk from here on out. This is being perfect, being mature, being teleos, being complete. And so, you know, earlier how we talked about um, anger and murder another week, Jesus is not doing away with the idea that you should not murder. But that's just baby steps. That's easy stuff. The true fulfillment of that is not having an angry attitude towards people. That's growing in maturity. Jesus is not doing away with the idea that the punishment should match the crime, as we talked about last week, but that's just baby steps. That's easy stuff. The true fulfillment of that is being assertive and not creating enemies. That's growing to maturity. Jesus is not doing the way with the idea that we should love our neighbors, love the people close to us, but rel- which is not even always easy. <laughs> Sometimes our neighbors and our enemies are the same people. But... <laughs> Relatively speaking, it is easier to love people that are like us. That's baby steps. God's calling us to maturity, to walk as adults in his kingdom. That's the fulfillment of it. So we're just about to wrap up this morning. And this is a high call. So I just wanted to end with three things that I feel... There's a bit of like a comfort in this that God wants to bring us. Because it's, it's a hard word. It's a hard thing to live. It's a hard thing to preach. It's a hard thing to apply. If I could just actually get the band up as I'm just about to wrap up. The first one is, which I thought was so cool. I've never even heard of this word before. But when it says, when Jesus says, I say, love your enemies, I kind of just assumed it would be the word agape because that's the word for love that's used like everywhere in the Bible, it means, you know, unconditional love, and it's a super powerful word. But the word that's used here is slightly different. It's agapeo with an O on the end. And I'm just going to read out the definition of that Greek word, because I think it's so cool. It means to prefer to love. For the believer, it means preferring to live through Christ, embracing God's will, choosing his choices, and obeying them through his power. The word preeminently refers to what God prefers as he is love. With the believer, agapeo means actively doing what the Lord prefers with him, by his power and direction. True loving is always defined by God. Isn't that powerful? Actively doing what the Lord prefers with him, 
by his power and direction. We are not alone in this. God doesn't call us to a really high task and then say, oh, go do it by yourself. He's a good father. Just like a parent goes through it with their child when they're learning to walk, they help them with that. When they bump themselves, they get down and they comfort them and they encourage them to keep going. That's God's heart. But even more so, His Spirit is in us. He actually gives us the power and the ability to love our enemies, to love those who are different to us, to love those who have wronged us. And He is so good at it. He's so experienced. No one's more experienced than Jesus loving His enemies. So we literally have the expert of loving enemies living on the inside of us. And He wants to help us to have love. We are to agapeo our enemies. We are to love with the power of God, through the power of God our enemies. So I thought that was comforting. Second thing that I think is comforting is that sometimes, like I've already mentioned, there's a lot of pain associated with this and there has been great wrongdoing. And we can get concerned that justice won't be done. That there is brokenness, that that something has gone wrong and there needs to be restitution. Something needs to be made right. But we actually need to remember that God is a just and a righteous judge. We leave judgment and vengeance in His hands rather than taking that into our own. Romans 12, 19, it says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. God wasn't looking at what the Romans were doing to the Jews and saying, this is so wonderful. I'm so glad that they're doing this. This is great. You should love it. He knew it was wrong. He knew it wasn't okay. But he was saying, it is not your job to judge them. It is not your job to have revenge on them. That is my job. I call you to love them. With me, through me. And the third thing is that love is actually transformative. Love can turn an enemy into a friend. And that's a really powerful thing. I read a story about Abraham Lincoln. He had a guy, he was an American president. He was a really great guy. I'm pretty sure he was a president during the Civil War. So he was really involved um, in the whole debate over slavery in America. He was a good man. And he had an arch enemy named Edwin Stonto. And this man degraded him as much as he could in the public eye. He hated him. He wanted to tear down Abraham Lincoln's reputation. He would tease the way he looked. But when Abraham Lincoln was looking for someone to be the Secretary of War, he chose this man. He said, you know what, this man is the best man for the job. Even though he's degraded me, even though everyone says I shouldn't choose him, this man is the best man for the job. I know he'll do the best thing for this country. And he chose him for that role. And when Lincoln was assassinated, this man said he now belongs to the ages and he referred to him as one of the greatest men that ever lived. Lincoln's kindness to his enemy produced a friend. And that's exactly the same as what Jesus' grace and love for us when he was his enemy, when we were his enemies did. You never know what God can do when you love your enemies. They may not become your enemies. They may not be your enemies anymore. So how can we apply this? I like to be very practical, so I wrote a list of six things I think are practical things that we could do and I think you know God has to put on your heart which thing is something that you could do but I'm just going to read through them and maybe we can just have open hearts to God that 
if something stands out on this list to you, something that maybe you could apply, or there could be something completely different, whatever God puts on your heart, but this is just to help us think. The first one is to ask God to help you to love your enemies. Just ask for His help with that. And maybe that could even be, if this is like a big struggle for you, if you're struggling with forgiveness or like a desire for revenge or something, maybe you could even ask God every morning, God help me love my enemies. Secondly, pray for your enemy or someone who persecutes you. Ask God to bless them. And I've personally experienced how much this can change your heart towards somebody. It can completely change the way you see somebody. Because when you pray for somebody, you actually get God's heart for them. And God loves this person. Oh my gosh, He loves them so much. He, gave, he would give everything for them. He has given everything for them. They are so beloved by Him. And when we pray, we capture that heart. We understand how God sees them. The third one is to speak well of people you don't agree with or who you think are wrong. This is something I was really challenged by in my preparation. It's something I've actually committed this morning before um, coming to church that I'm actually going to really work on. I want to be known as somebody who speaks well of people, even people who are enemies, even people who I don't agree with. And that's hard. But may we be people who are found speaking well of others. Fourth one is to be kind in action towards people you don't like very much. Just like the guy that changed the guy's tire in the movie. We can do kind things for people that we don't get along with. People who are our enemies. The fifth one is to ask for forgiveness where you know that what you've done is wrong. Most often conflict is not one-sided. It's very unusual. Often there is something that we've done wrong. Even if we were initially right, like I said, it's so easy to get into pride. It's so easy to get into trying to prove that you're right. And so where we've done the wrong thing in a relationship, we can ask for forgiveness for that. And the last one is to actively seek to get acquainted with the past and the pains and the hopes of the dreams of someone who is your enemy, if that's appropriate. And that's not always appropriate at all. But if that's appropriate, that can help you understand a person. So often somebody does things that are so, to us, they're like so crazy and inappropriate. Like, why would you do that? That was so mean. But if we understand their past, if we understand their hurts, if we understand their heart, we'll have so much more compassion for that thing and so much more compassion for that person. And it also helps us to see them as a person, not just an enemy. So I'm just going to pray. So if everybody would like to close their eyes and bow their heads, that would be great. God, I just thank you so much that you are calling us to maturity. God, that you delight in our baby steps. You delight as we learn to follow you. We learn to walk in your way. But God, I thank you that you call us to maturity. God, that just as a parent is not satisfied with a baby who never learns to walk as an adult as they want their child to learn to grow in maturity. God, I thank you that you help us to do that. God, you walk alongside us in that you give us the ability to do that. And as we've talked about this morning, the issue of loving your enemies, God, you, you are extravagantly loving towards your enemies. You are extravagantly loving towards people who don't know you and who don't care about you. God, give us that heart. Teach us how to love the way you love. Teach us how to sacrifice for people even when we don't get along with them, God. God, this seems impossible in our own strength, but you call us to agape o them. You call us to love them with your love and through your power. 
God, please help us to do that. And if, if there's any specific application that any of us should be doing this morning, God, I pray that you'll put that on our heart right now. God, you'll show us if there's a relationship where we need to get some things right, that you'll show us that. If there's a way we've been speaking about people that's wrong, that you'll show us that. If there's something we need to be praying for, that you'll show us that, God. And God, I just thank you that your love is transformative and that when we love people, it actually can change our enemies into our friends. And I pray for that. God, I pray that when we come next Sunday, there'll be a lot less enemies. God, that there'll be a lot less people that have enemies because they chose to love people this week. And God, for when people have been really hurt by those that are their enemies, God, I pray for healing. God, I pray for your grace and your love. God, I pray that they will know that you're a just God, that you do not overlook offenses, that you don't, God, you don't ask them to just forget what happened and get over it, God, that you sit with them in that. But God, I pray that you'll give them your supernatural strength to forgive and to love. And just as everybody keeps their um, eyes closed and heads bowed, if there's anybody this morning that has never even started a relationship with this God, this God that loves you, this God that's given everything for you, this God that went through the death that we deserved to give us life that we didn't deserve. I just want you to know He loves you and He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your father. He wants to walk with you. If that's you this morning, I just want to encourage, and you actually want to enter into relationship with God, I just want to invite you to raise your hand this morning. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to stand with you. It's such an exciting decision. I'm just going to look across one more time. If there's anybody that wants to start that relationship, if you just want to raise your hand up high. Thank you. I see that hand. Is there any others this morning? Awesome, God. I just thank you so much for this one heart and this one life that's chosen you this morning. Actually, let's all pray together. If you just want to repeat after me, that would be awesome. This is just a prayer that accepts Jesus into your heart and into your life. And if you didn't even raise your hand, if you want to pray this this morning for the first time, um, we'd love to connect with you and we'd love you to know that God hears you and He wants to be in relationship with you. So yeah, let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died the death I deserve and that you have given me life God I want to be united with you I want to live my life your way thank you for forgiving me thank you for loving me I love you in Jesus name amen Amen. Isn't that awesome?